You have to trust and believe me when I say it is not my goal or desire to be hustling my entire life. And I actually resent it when people tell me like, oh, you like to work or you work all the time. First of all, there have been periods in my life where I was working all the time because I wasn't making no damn money. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I had, I needed to work so that I could survive. The best way to support the Work and Play podcast is by subscribing to the YouTube channel and by going to your favorite podcast player to subscribe and rate the Work and Play podcast. That's all you have to do. So if you are liking the Work and Play podcast, the content, the stories that we're sharing, and you know that this will help someone, go ahead and share the content to someone who could actually use it and help them on their journey to transition from corporate into entrepreneurship. Now let's get back into the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host and career coach, Arielle Young. And today, I have a really special dope chick. Yay. Before she even got here, we were listening to some Janet Jackson, a flow that is not a part of my flow. And I was like, hold up. Janet Jackson, and I like this. So sis, you are gracing the uh, Work and Play Podcast couch. And I really, really, I've, I've liked your interview style on your podcast since um, before I met you. So, Ooh. if you would, introduce yourself, please. Yes. Hey, Work and Play Podcast. My name is Sydney Mack, and I am the host, executive producer, the theme song writer, and singer, editor of the Sugar Free Podcast. <laughs> and that is my baby, right? That is my pie in the sky dream for myself um but my lesser uh in the sky dreams like my very practical life includes me being a full-time practicing attorney in sports and entertainment um, i focus my practice primarily on intellectual property marketing actually influencer marketing and sports and then i'm also a professor here in atlanta um, at a very prestigious law school where i teach intellectual property law and sports law all the things too many things uh, one thing that, that <laughs> like sydney will resonate you will resonate with is she's amazing super oh, duper smart you. yes you give um classy you give oh but i'm still single what is <laughs> listen <laughs> we, can talk, we can talk about that too because when it comes to the work and play life so i told you how, why i started the work and play podcast but yes. when i came when i sat in your car and you were listening to uh janet jackson i'm like any dude pull up <laughs> You, hey baby, come on in. You got the sage on the incense burning, and he gets the Janet vibes. But, but like, I don't know why a man would want to, because I was like, I can understand like a dude coming. Come on, baby, just relax. You know what I mean? You know, I don't know that I've ever had issues getting men. They have issues keeping me. Mm, come on. And so I don't know if you're a Sex in the City fan. I know the show. Okay, I am a Sex in the City stan. There is an episode where Mr. Big mm -hmm. is about to marry Natasha. 
And so Natasha is not one of the main four girls. Oh God, yeah. Who was Natasha? <laughs> so Carrie was Mr. Big's love interest. So Mr. Big was Carrie's love interest throughout the show. They ended up getting married. They had a very much on and off again relationship. And so she, the, he got married to her right after Carrie and Mr. Big had broken up because Mr. Big couldn't commit to Carrie. And she was constantly asking herself, what is it about that girl? Why did he choose her? Why didn't he choose me? And I align with Carrie so much in this moment because she realized Natasha was the safe girl. Mm. In what way? She was a beautiful woman. She had a, she was a model. She had a fantastic life, but she was young mm. and she was easy to mold. She wanted, you know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever he wanted to do, she was happy to go along with it. She wanted simple. She wanted quiet. She wanted every day. They called her like the beige girl. Everything in her home was beige. beautiful. Yes. And mm -hmm. Carrie, right, was businesswoman. Not really. Okay, so tell me, because she had um, Jennifer Hudson was her. Um, that was later. Oh, so she wasn't always. She, she just no. had a nice home. That was also later. Oh, At okay. this point in the series, Carrie was the Mustang. She was wild. Oh, I cannot be tamed. I go where the wind blows me. I'm spontaneous. Could you try again? No, girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm spontaneous. I uh, try new things. I like adventure. And she did not want to be in the box that Mr. Big wanted to put her in. Okay. And I feel like that is me. Mm. And that has been my issue. I have met some of the most gorgeous, amazing, successful men. But I have found that they want gorgeous, amazing, successful women but then they want you to be their little housewife. Mm. And I'm like, all the things that you wanted to be with me for yeah. changes the second that I play the background to your foreground. That's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm the carry yeah. where I'm like, I cannot be tamed. Like I want to go where the wind blows me. If I want to start a podcast, that's what I want to do. If I want to have a hot girl summer, that's what I want to do. If I want you know what I mean? Like all these things, if I want to get up at seven o'clock and decide I'm going to go take a pole dancing class, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. But that's what you fall in love with me. Don't like, that's why you, I'm exciting. Mm, okay. So it sounds like <laughs> what you're saying is, um, you know how we grow up with the idea of what marriage is supposed to be like and mm -hmm. how we have these roles that we need to fill. It sounds like what you're saying is men that you found, they come up with these, they have their own ideas of what marriage is supposed to look like. And as much as they rag on girls for this, it sounds like what you're explaining is like breaking down what people say sh should be marriage and honestly, truly embracing what you have. Mm -hmm. Because when I, like, I'm telling you, <laughs> Because <laughs> one of the things that I feel like women um, can provide um, in the new age sense of what marriage and partnership looks like is like peace. You know mm. what I'm saying? And perhaps, you know, the part of me that likes to read and debate and talk about politics, perhaps that's not why I'm in this relationship. Maybe it draws you to me, but maybe that's not like our thing. But maybe it's the peaceful side of me because I'm like. To first of all, as a man, letting go of your pre your preconceived notion of whatever it is that you have, but then realizing what parts of you jives with me and what mm -hmm. parts don't, and maybe sometimes we gotta like help these men understand that. 
But I do, ooh. <laughs> I, I feel like that's one of the things that black women, do you wanna date a black, uh, um, black man? I do, I do, but I, I wanna say one thing about this whole notion <laughs> of peace. Yeah. I need a man that is bringing his own peace. I'm not, yes. I'm not gonna disrupt your peace. Yes. But I had a man that I dated and he was like, you're my peace. He was like, you know what I mean? Like I, and I was like, I don't want that title. And I was like, if how I am and how I behave is soothing to you, fantastic. But I don't want the job duty or responsibility of being your peace because it didn't allow me the space to be human in that relationship. Cause sometimes you're not peaceful. Boom. You know what I'm moments boom and with you, you to be my peace. like I, or at least have your own peace so i can come into your life because sometimes what i think is beautiful about relationships is like when a wife can go cuddle up with her boy and he's watching he's watching um football or playing video games that's his piece mm -hmm. and it just makes me feel comfortable to just do that <laughs> but what you're saying is it's like this rigidity and weight in the way that things should be mm -hmm. versus the way things are and I'm curious how those conversations happen, like moment by moment, play by play. But oftentimes I feel like in my, so we're both in Atlanta, single mm -hmm. ladies. Mm -hmm. I, I would say the same thing. People say, oh, how's dating in Atlanta? And I'm like, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I will say after every single guy, it's always an evolution. I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. This is the type of conversation I need to have with a man. I need to one. I need to tell him that this is how I'm. This is these are the, the things that I'm unlearning about myself, mm -hmm. and these are the things that I come with. These are the features, <laughs> and then here are some of the uh, you know the foundational things that I come with. Because I'm I'm open to. You know, we talked about before we got before we started the podcast our idea of work and play. Mm -hmm. and how I had this vision of work and play, but child, my life was like 85, 95% <laughs> work. Yeah. And honestly, that's not even how I want my life to be. Mm. And I think that that might bump up against, and we talked about your life might be a little bit in the same uh, mm -hmm. percentage, but sometimes I think uh, my old self fights with what I want. So do you ever feel like in dating, there's give and take that you like after you leave the relationship where you're like oh okay now i know what to do next time and it's the lesson learned or do you feel like it's the same old same old um i definitely feel like i learn and i definitely feel like i grow but i also feel like every relationship is different because the stage of that i'm in in my life and my growth and development is different like there have been um, men that I dated while I was a full-time entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that level of grind and hustle is different than the level of grind and hustle if you just have a nine to five. And so there've been other moments where I've dated guys where I've just had a nine to five or I've been a nine to five or in a side hustler. And so like your life is going to ebb and flow. And so I feel like I do take away lessons from each, but the lessons that I take away aren't necessarily going to help me for whatever season I'm in, in the next relationship. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like at the end of the day, whoever I'm with, I need them to see the vision. Yeah. I need them to understand that if I'm working hard right now, it's because it's required for me to get to the destination. It won't always be this way. And you have to trust and believe me when I say it is not my 
goal or desire to be hustling my entire life. And I actually resent it when people tell me like, oh, you like to work or you work all the time. First of all, there have been periods in my life where I was working all the time because I wasn't making no damn money. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I had, I needed to work so that I could survive. Are you still trying to get a leg up on your entrepreneurial career? Now I told you about the morning meetup, the community that was created for the betterment of entrepreneurship. And we are cooking up some really cool things. Now here's the thing. If you join today, you can actually get in for 60% of the original price. So if you join today, all you have to do is download the app and I provided the link below so that you can join us. We have community, we have a book club and it's the largest group that meets every single day, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. to literally get ahead start on entrepreneurship so if you're still trying to grow you don't know what your business is going to be but you know you want to be an entrepreneur this is the community for you so check out the morning meetup click the link below download the app and join us today mm. right like there is but that was the mentality the survival yeah it was like <laughs> and i didn't know you were a full-time entrepreneur or maybe i point. did when we first talked maybe but yeah like um I had my own law firm from 20, the end of 2016 mm -hmm. until about midway 2019, so almost three and a half That's years. That's dope. Yeah. So one of the things I'm curious, as you were talking about, like, you know, you don't love to work, but you were in survival mode. What did it feel like? What was your mindset? I guess you, I guess I would say money mindset when you were an entrepreneur, because was it like survival mode or were you kind of mm -hmm. living in abundance during that time? Yeah, I was. So the time in my life when I was in survival mode was actually was when I was in corporate, because I feel mm. like when you're in corporate, you're on a fixed income. <laughs> and my income was real low. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like and people don't think that and I've talked about that on my show too is that people assume that because you have a law degree and I went to a top 20 law school and you've passed the bar that that comes with a certain level of income and cachet and that is not the case for I think the vast majority of lawyers when you think about wealthy lawyers you're probably looking at the top 10 to 20 percent of income earners that are attorneys but there are so many attorneys out there making $50,000 a year. That was my first salary Yeah. as an attorney. I bet you thought it was money though at the time. No, I was poor girl. How old were you? I was 25. Okay, yeah, you were an adult at that time. You knew that wasn't real money. Turning 26. Yeah. But I had real bills. And yeah. so whether my like perception of whether it was a lot or not, I knew that at the end of the month, the math wasn't mathing, right? And so I was a public um, attorney and I worked for the county. And so I was making $50,000 a year after they took out my pension, after, cause you know, working in a county state job, they take out a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, after they took out my pension, taxes, state, federal tax, health insurance, I was taking home $2,500 a month. Mm. A month? A month. Like putting in my pocket. $2,500 a month is less, is like about $30,000. Yeah. And you know, but you know what's crazy? Like, yes, I, I, will, I will agree. Like, I don't, I, my lifestyle, even though I was living at my means, um, $30,000, i am like, dang. But then you think about families who have to um, raise four kids on $30,000. And, and just to know how you're struggling, you are, you said survival years. You know what I'm saying? Girl. I <laughs> like, you know, we've, and, and luckily for me, I didn't have student loans mm -hmm. 
But imagine having to pay rent, yeah. having to pay car, car insurance, your regular bills and utilities. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like groceries. Maybe I want to go to a movie <laughs> once a year. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I'm also learning about some popcorn. <laughs> right? You're not eating popcorn. Now, my friends know I be the girl that I will have, because uh, I have a very strict diet, I will put a little guacamole. I'll make a little bit at home, <laughs> put it in my purse. <laughs> and I put a little some uh, tortilla chips in a little Ziploc bag, put it in my purse, and they be like, "Oh, girl, you you trifling, you raggedy." But when I'm in there eating my guacamole, they they say, girl, I already know, I already know, I already know. Like, oh, that would be lit right now. I, I bet it would. Great. Um, no, thank you. Like, I have just enough for me. Yes. I got you. So, so yes. you know how my mind works. We all the way over here, but. You're saying that when people say like um, you like to work, you don't like to work. You you no. know what it was like to work. You've developed this like workers mentality, but like what is the real deal? Like what is what's your true perception of work life balance? I mean, honestly, like I would love to be able to do the work that doesn't feel like work. And so I love being purposeful. I love having purpose. I love affecting change. Mm -hmm. I love working in my zone of genius. But at this time, currently, I have not found an avenue that allows me to do all of those things without feeling like work. And I think that it exists. Yeah. I just haven't been able to do it in a way where it can be the sole source of my income. But that is, that is the long-term goal. Um, and so like I will be working, but we had talked about this earlier too. I don't think that work and play has to be separate. Like I feel like we could play at work, you know what I mean? And we can work while we play, right? Like I feel like for most of my life, there has been this convergence of everything just kind of meshing together. Like there is no separate Playtime. So I don't know if I told you this, but growing up, I was a competitive golfer. Mm -mm. That's so cool. So my sister and I both went to college on Division One golf scholarships. Yes. Really? That's why I don't have student loans. Oh, that's a <laughs> pack right there. So my sister also went on to play golf professionally, and she was the fourth African-American woman in history to uh, be accepted to membership with the PGA and the LPGA. So she's like very well known in her industry. Like golf has been a big part of our story, but because we played golf at such an elite level, there was no playtime. We went to school, we had practice, we had coaching, we had tournaments, like during the summer times, we would be on tour like every week. Mm -hmm. We would come home, pack a bag, throw, you know what I mean? Um, maybe catch a nap and be on the plane, be at the next spot. And we might have enough time to come back home the next week, throw the clothes in the washing machine, put them back in the bag and be back on the plane. Every week yeah. during our summers. No breaks. And during the school years, we would have to play in at least like one tournament a month traveling. And then we also played on our high school team. And then I also sang in my free time. So like uh, growing up in Vegas, I performed a lot. I performed at like malls. I performed at state fairs. Which I performed. Which part of that felt like fun? Like as a kid, which part of it felt like, oh. I... None of it. None of it. It felt like all of it was work. Yes. That is so <laughs> 
a monkey a court jester like every time you got to do something you got to be on and it's similar when you're a competitive athlete too you have to be able to turn it on and off like it doesn't matter if you are tired like you've got to perform and I feel like there came a point in my life where I didn't want to perform anymore because I wanted to do it on my terms and not not somebody else's terms so I took a step away from it just because and I don't want people to like pressure me about it anymore. And so as I've gotten older, mm -hmm. I've gotten more of an opportunity to rediscover my passion for things. Um, and so I told you like I wrote and sang the theme song for my show. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I will tell you because I was listening to your show and because I heard the theme song and because you can really sing, I said this was intentional. This is this is a part of her she's giving us right now. Yes. I literally felt that. <laughs> I was like, I feel like this was a gift. It wasn't like on some like it was like, let me let me give you Thank guys a you. little bit. I, I really felt that. So that's you re-engaging re re with your passion and doing it in a way where it feels good to you. Not and choosing you. it again. Mm -hmm. Because when you're good at something, people start to choose things for you. Ooh. And this is before you had your own dream identity and, and choices, right? Seven years yes. old. Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. so with golf, I felt like golf was chosen for me. Mm -hmm. And even though I identified singing as something that I wanted to do, there came a point where I felt like people were choosing for me what singing should look like okay. and the role it should play in my life. And I just was like, I don't, I want to choose it. Mm -hmm. And so stepping away from it, like, honestly, when I wrote that song, I had so much fun. I was like, yo, like I hadn't <laughs> sang in so long. I was like, yo, this is fun. Like this, this is what I, I love the creative process. I love. So we did probably like three different versions of that song before we landed on that track, those lyrics. And like, I was like, I miss the creative process of like writing and listening and doing it over and over and over again like it's a process and I was like okay this is it it is a process and I want to go back to something you said you were talking about it was back when we were talking about the fact that we work a lot but we don't desire to work and I'm saying we mm. but you know you said specifically about yourself I don't desire to work and then you said that um, the way you envision work and play is that you can have a little play and work and you can have a little work and play. The next part, this is the part that I want to impact. Yeah. It was, you said, uh, I believe that that can, that does exist. I hope so. That's <laughs> what I want to unpack. Because you said this, it's the creative process. One of the things that I'm experiencing now is my thought about I'm a time blocker child I, because as an entrepreneur I've taken a lot of that corporate mindset structure email time mm. pr productive time I, I'm very efficient but when it comes to creativity which I kind of ebb and flow in and out of right like I've, I'm a singer but I never identified as like a songwriter I've never sung a song that truly fit me mm. because the creative process it has no boundaries. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I, it makes me scared because um, if it doesn't go in a time block, it's like, mm, mm. 
what like what is the finished product going to be looking like what can i promise around that how am i going to pay my bills if i'm like you know leaning into this creative process and then it's like how do i but then i know i'm a coach so i'm oftentimes talking about how you trust the process so i've been in this position where i'm like i live this very rigid life and i see the life that i want sometimes i live it and it's the thing that you said like it does exist but the thing that's required for me to like live that takes a little bit less of like control and like mm -hmm. more so trusting the fact that this creative zone can really be lucrative for me. Well, okay, so you said a lot there. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the process. Yeah. So for me, my process starts with a vision. Come on. So I always start with the end in mind. I already know in my mind's eye what I want it to look like. So when I get there, I know it. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about this creative process that could just potentially go on into forever. Yeah. Nah, like even like, so like I told you I did. So I decided I didn't want to be on the performing side of the business not only because I had kind of gotten tired of performing, but also because you hear constantly, like, you're a great singer, but there's lots of great singers out there. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't really practical. And I had bought into that. And so I was like, what can I do to be behind the scenes? So my um, thought was I'll be a publicist and PR and then like an agent. And so that's actually why I went to law school to do PR agency and all that. So like, you know, like when styling clients and things like that, like I have a vision, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you look at all my photos, my sister's photos, like I st I've styled us for years. And so it doesn't drag on forever. Like I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got a vibe for this. And I've styled other people too. It's like, I got a vision for this. Or if, if somebody comes to me, it's like, oh, can you help me like with the concept? I'm like, what is the vision like let's storyboard it out like what's the vibe what's the mood what are the colors um what is the inspiration like let's let's look at and i did the same thing for my podcast actually like i put a lot of thought into shit <laughs> and so like i listen i started listening to podcasts right i was like how are people doing this? I started listening to Oprah's old interviews. Yeah. I started looking at listening to Barbara Walter's old interviews. I was like, what is my style? Like, what are the different styles out there? And even people say different word fillers. How many word fillers can I put into it? And it's not distracting. Oprah says, um, and like, you know, all the time because it's a natural part of language and conversation, right? And so like, I, I'm a studier. We gotta have a vision for this. And when the vision comes together, it's like an intangible feeling for me. Mm. I know it, right? And so once I've identified the vibe, we got the mood, we've done the research, we have our inspiration, we put the vision together. Once it happens, I know it, mm. process over. <laughs> I like it. The process is over. Like once you've achieved it, like it's done. We wouldn't move forward. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you're talking about something that I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck. They and get artists, stuck. Yeah. An artist, I think that you're right. They get stuck mm -hmm. and they're like, is it perfect? Is it is it perfect? And the other thing, so I I write. Um, obviously I'm a lawyer, so I write all the time. <laughs> you <laughs> know, there's difference like technical writing versus like there is, there is, there is, but there's not. Oh. 
because as an attorney, I'm a persuasive writer. Mm. It is my job to persuade people to do something every day, whether I am trying to convince them to give my client more money, whether I'm trying to convince them to stop emailing me because you're getting it on my nerves. Whether you know what I mean, like whatever it is, whatever I put into to this email, and so I always think about how do I want my audience to feel as an artist, right? And so if I'm writing something. If I read it and I start crying and that was the emotion that I wanted to evoke in someone else, it's done. Mm -hmm. And I feel like artists get so caught up in the process that they forget the goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, think you're, I think you're hitting the nail on the head from my own personal journey. It's going from structure to understanding process but also giving it a goal. But mm -hmm. not going from structure to random process and forgetting the goal <laughs> right and, add your right. and it don't have to be perfect right yeah. like when you think about art mm -hmm. and creating and the things that inspire you it's not always perfect yeah. but it meets the desired goal whether it's evoking anger whether it's evoking sadness or contempt or joy right and so you have to figure out, like you said, what that end goal is. And once you hit it, it's perfect. And you move on. Yeah, it is perfect. So let me tell you, so let me ask you really. Um, I wanna know what, how you see the crater between where you are right now and the the way you broke down. Cause see, I love processes and I love structure. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, got it. You know, I see the life that, and, and you are efficient with your creativity, which is a plus. So for you in your journey, your career journey, what does it look like? What does that crater or that distance look like between the life you have and the life that you desire? I think it's not that far. Mm. <laughs> for real, for real, I really think it's, it's not that far because like, I feel like, I spent a lot of time in my early 20s questioning, second guessing, not being sure, am I good enough? Can I do it? Does it make sense? And, and I'm talking specifically about my big pie in the sky goals. Like, can I be a television personality? Can I have my own show? Can like, you know what I mean? Like wanting that to be a thing, but I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm finally drinking my own Kool-Aid. Like, I feel like I'm closer because I'm starting to believe that I can, mm. right? And so I'm believing that all of the things that I second guess myself about in my 20s are actually possible. And that, right, is the first step. And so I see myself taking steps mm. and like being intentional. I'm not gonna sit up here and like lie to y'all and, profess that I have it all figured out because I do not, but I have decided that everything that I want is, is attainable. Girl, yes, I got chills. <laughs> because what I heard was, I was a badass in my 20s, but I was second guessing myself. And I'm closer because I believe. The only difference is I believe <laughs> that I believe in my dopeness. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it gave me chills because, like, our mind really Girl. is the only thing. <laughs> we be getting in our own way. We do. We talked about that before the podcast started, too. Well, even with your process. Mm -hmm. That's you getting in your own way. Tell me more. <laughs> Come on. I'm, coach. I'm, I'm coachable. Well, okay. So you're like, you're taking. So I'm also going to tell you this, too. 
So I had a friend in law school who was also had a journalism background. Mm -hmm. And I was like, girl, like I'm, I'm struggling so hard with learning this new style of writing, this new style of persuasive writing. And she was like, you have a four year degree in journalism. You spent a year in communications before you ever came to law school. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like. Why would you discount all the skills you've already acquired? And I see you doing the same thing, mm. right? Like you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater without really assessing what works for you and what doesn't work for you and applying it to this new process. Mm, you mean in terms of embracing creativity and letting go of this structure that I'm more so comfortable Not with? letting it go, incorporating mm. it into. That's the baby with the bathwater. Yes. Thinking that I have to let go of structure in order to embrace this Boom. creative side. Boom. Do what works for you. That's what creativity is. Creativity is about operating in your zone of genius mm. and operating in a space where you are your best. And so if you feel at your best in this place of structure, mm. why not apply that to your creative process? I like that. I like that. And another a light bulb that come on before before you coach the coach. <laughs> a light bulb that came on was to remember that I have a goal, right? So um, what scared me was that I didn't have like the the people who I know are creatives. I'm mm. like, oh my god, so I'm just gonna have to like, you know, like sometimes you, I get inspiration when I get out of the shower. So I'm like. Gotta like take a shower and <laughs> sit back and smoke a little bit, and I'm like, I can't do that on a Tuesday. <laughs> my two o'clock block. And but what you're saying is, because I got so scared about what that looked like, I forgot the fact that like I know I'm cre I know what I'm creating. Mm -hmm. I know what it needs to look like, um, but I haven't um, grounded myself in the fact that if I create a goal for that time then I can I can balance it out. Yeah. So this is good. And redefining creativity, right? Like mm. there's a lot of creativity that happens in lawyering, even though lawyering is not seen as a creative profession. Mm. As much as I dislike being a lawyer, I feel like I'm very good at it because I'm creative about problem solving. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that gets a lot of lawyers stuck is that they want everything to fit a formula that they think it should fit into for this to work. I don't believe in formulas, right? Especially given that I was an entrepreneur full-time at one point, like I realized that business is about making what you have work. Mm -hmm whatever it is, it's not necessarily about making it fit, it's about making it work. And so when a client comes to me with a problem, I'm not like, oh, we gotta do it this way because this is the only way it can be done. We gotta do it this way because it makes the most sense. I'm like, no, like, okay, I see this. What about this? What about that? This may come with some additional risk. How risky do you wanna get? Because my job as an attorney is to mitigate and advise on risk. It's not to eliminate it. You cannot eliminate risk. And so I'm not telling my clients, get rid of all the risk. Nah, like we could do this. It's gonna come with more risk, but if you perceive it as being worth it, run it, let's do it, mm. right? You know what I mean? You could sign a little waiver saying I advise you of the risk, yeah. right? But you know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to tell you what is not possible. Yeah. I'm just trying to let you know the potential harm and danger in doing the thing. Yeah. But 
the people who are truly successful in business and in life do not become so from being risk averse. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I don't want to like counsel my clients outside of risk. No, we got to take some risk. We just got to take the right ones and how much and mm. get some good insurance, right? But we got to press the boundaries. We got to keep our foot on the gas if we trying to get there. We we if if somebody ain't suing us, we ain't doing it right. <laughs> you, know top, girl. you know what I mean? And that's like legit. When you think about companies like the largest companies in the world, they get sued all the time because they can accept and absorb that level of risk so they can take more risk. So this is very, very in line with my coaching. I love where you're going with this because the risk that is required to like change your life a little bit is it's inevitable. It is. And the way that you just went in, I hope you're realizing that same <laughs> philosophy, philosophies are philosophies for a reason. They apply. So I, sometimes when we grow, we grow in one area, but then we don't realize that that same strategy applies. What's Break down the potential risks that you see in your career path with like bridging the gap between a going again to full-time entrepreneurship and maintaining because we haven't talked, I'm not even sure if we talked about the fact that you're a lawyer, you're also a teacher, a, per, say, yeah, a professor, professor. Mm -hmm. and um, you also have the Sugar Free Podcast. So like, there's that life, but then, mm -hmm. we, then we talk about the life that does exist. But what's the risk? How do you see the risk? The risk is mostly financial at this point because the dreams that I have aren't making me any money yet, right? But the things that are making me the money are taking away the time that I have to invest in the dream. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I am trying to at this point stack my cash so I can mitigate my risk when I'm ready to invest more time. Um, I, I in, in a perfect world, I would be able to produce my show, host my show 100% of the time. I could take the risk, quit all my other stuff and do that. I even have money saved. But if it don't pop within the time that my money <laughs> runs out, then where, where do I go, <laughs> right? Like I'm going to probably be back working right working mm -hmm. to try to save so i'm trying to invest as much into my businesses now like like in terms of infrastructure in terms of like all the things that i deem to be important and so we talked about this earlier and so i think that um, the barrier to entry for starting a podcast can be very low mm -hmm. there are platforms like <laughs> anchor that can allow you by virtue of a cell phone and an internet connection to start a podcast literally out of your bedroom, your car, girl, right? And you could, you could put the start recording on your phone. Mm -hmm. You can take a picture of yourself mm -hmm. on your phone, create a little something and in shot or, you know, to have as your cover art and you can get started and people get started in that way. I felt like for me, having a background in communications, 
having a background in PR, having a background in entertainment, having a background being professor. Like it was really important for my to look professional. Like I'm like I can't be out here with no like that's not going to elevate my brand. It's not going to elevate the brand of my guests and my um yeah, my audience like none of that. Like no one's going to take me seriously as anything else that I do. If I come out here with some half baked raggedy podcast. Can we argue <laughs> that that would be a belief? Um yes, it's not it's not necessarily fact. Okay. But for me, right? Like if I'm going to the creative in me, right? I'm a I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my mm -hmm, ish. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna put something out there that I don't believe in. Okay. I'm not proud of. Okay. When I look at my podcast, when I look at my podcast art, when I look at my Instagram page and I look at it, I'm proud of it. Like I look at it and I sit back and like, girl, you did that. And if I don't get that feeling that then I'm not going to be excited to continue. Right. Like that's the, the creative side of me. That's like that finicky. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's got to feel right. Yeah. And so I had to do the things and invest the kind of money in my podcast so that it could feel right for me. Yeah. And other people got to figure out what they got to invest to make it feel right for them. So. One of the things, like, so we were talking about what I spend my money on. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. We, 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 to get to, to clarify, <laughs> we were talking about, like, how, how much does it cost to invest in a podcast? And there are levels to this ish, right? Mm -hmm. There's the one who's starting their podcast out of the closet and going to throw that, that uh, thumbnail up on the screen and go for it. <laughs> but then again, we have your perception, which I lean towards. Mm. I promise you, I'm still, I'm still like, in my, my quality, like, you know, Bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, it matters. If you want people, I feel like, to take you seriously, yeah. if you want to book a certain caliber of guests, like, I can't go to an influencer with 100,000 followers and be like, hey, you want to be on my podcast and I got a Sophie? Like, no, like, it doesn't, like, like it's just, it's just like, yeah. You have to come correct. And people Boom. respect excellence. Boom. They respect you, respect you when you come with excellence. I, I, I'm not even going to deviate the point because you were going to educate us on how much do you um, invest in your podcast. I will, but one last point on that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that also speaks to faking it till you make it, mm. right? Like nobody really could tell at the beginning, like when my podcast was struggling because mm. I was still posting every day. My graphics was on point. I had a phenomenal looking website. So even if on the back end ain't nobody listening, it don't look like nobody listening. And so that's part of the fake until you make it if I roll up here with a selfie you know what I mean and like for my podcast art it's not looking right it's not looking nice my little social media graphics looking real homegrown and homemade yeah. I look like I'm struggling it looked like ain't nobody listening when that may not be the case yeah. but for me as a as a publicist as I can't I didn't I couldn't sell that like I didn't feel good in my spirit putting that out there marketing that to an audience and so I had to do the things and invest in my podcast in ways that made it feel good for me to sell it and so in the beginning I actually took I did take pictures of myself from my camera mm -hmm. from my phone and so I did I did not invest in that from the the first season but I did invest in taking a like small podcast course okay. I spent money on that I spent money on ads 
Now, how much I, I actually haven't even invested 100% in that. So, what does that look like on the back end? So, for my first season, I only did video ads. So, they weren't seeing my selfie picture or whatever. Um, that was only in one place on the podcasting platforms. Okay. Um, I did Zoom. So, I had a Zoom subscription. Okay. I did a hosting platform that was paid. So, I paid for that. And then the rest of the money, the first season, I spent $50 a week in Instagram ads. Okay, so what was the return on investment? Because <laughs> like, I'm just like, what? But let's just get, what was so the So within six months, I had 2,000 followers on my Instagram account from zero. Okay. Yeah, and I feel like for podcasts, I've noticed it's hard for podcasts to pick up an audience and traction and get followers. I was like, I don't have time to be speaking to an empty room. Mm. So by my fifth episode, I had a thousand downloads. Okay. And oh, so so the in the downloads. So, but when it comes to mm -hmm. your audience, do how can you tell um, of the people who? Well, I guess of the people who saw your content, they at least they followed because they were interested. To the, I mean, to it the had to be. I don't know where they came from, mm -hmm. but that was really the only place I was marketing and promoting. So I can't really tell right what percentage of the people who are following me on social media were the same or were listening to my show but i knew that i was getting 200 downloads a week right like so you know it was like whatever it was i was like it's working yeah. and i i was like i am investing too much time in this to speak to an empty room mm -hmm. i don't want to do that and so i put all of my focus and energy on that and proving to myself that I was committed to this because I started projects before and like, you know, quit. <laughs> so I, I focused on that. And then I put a lot of money in my guest experience. So I was like, I want every single person that comes onto my show to walk away a fan. Mm, I like that. Yes, an ambassador, mm -hmm. a cheerleader. My tagline is I'm your best friend in your head. I want every woman that sits in that seat to walk away like, that's my best friend. I will post, I will post her thing because I just believe in her. Yeah. Like, I love her energy. I'm going to support this woman. And they did. So my, I invested in the graphics that I posted for them mm -hmm. on social media, like making sure their stuff was looking right. So you even have a guess, um, a uh, process where you let folks know, like when their episode is coming out, you yes. get them so that they can post yes. it. So my process, I'm going to give y'all a free game. I'm going to give y'all, I'm going to give it to y'all for free. <laughs> so I have a email or a DM, depending on what platform I encounter them. The whole first paragraph of the DM email is like buttering them up. They just gassing them up, right? And it's true, like I do my research, but it's like, I love everything that you're doing. Like, here's a little bit about me, please be on the show. And then I make it easy. The one thing that I hate about being on other people's podcasts that I've noticed is that they don't make it easy for me to say yes, mm. right? At the end of the email, end of the DM, I say, if you're interested in being a guest on my show, click the link to schedule a taping. Yes. Girl, people are making it so difficult like to say yes. And so I invested in a calendar system. Come on. Right? I invested Break it down. <laughs> I invested in that because I wanted it to be easy for my guests to say yes. Um, so once you book, you can either book a pre-call. So in the beginning I was doing pre-calls and tapings, but now I make it optional 
for time. So you could do either or, but once you do that, like I send you a, a welcome letter, like thank you for being a guest on my podcast. I have house rules, I'm an attorney. Like we gonna have some terms, we gonna have some conditions. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Back too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in order for you to book something, you have to agree to the terms and conditions of the show. And then you come on, we have a conversation. Before every single episode, I send them another, like more fully um, fleshed out welcome letter that includes uh, the house rules, which are my terms and conditions, and then also a run of show. And so that's like the producer in me. The other thing that makes it difficult for me to say yes to people's podcasts is they don't tell me what the hell we talking about. Like as a professor, like, as an attorney, I have certain ethical obligations that I have to adhere to. I can come on here and talk about myself as myself, but if you're gonna reach out to me and ask me to speak somewhere, are you asking me to talk to you about you know, the facets of intellectual property? Right. Are we going to talk about politics? Like, I can't talk to you about certain things without at least having a general scope of the conversation first so that I can prepare. So when people reach out to me and they like be on my podcast, I'm like, to talk about what, yeah. right? Like to me, it's like a certain production level, a quality to your show. So when I reach out to a guest, even that initial, I said, I would like for you to come talk to my guest about X and explain boom, boom, boom. So they already like they're prepared. Yes, they are, their thought process is there. And, yes, and that's that's fair. That's fair. So do you after you have them on your show? What are the things that you do when they're they're there? Yeah. So they everybody always loves the run of show. Then we get on. We just have like a real honest conversation, right? And then afterwards, I promote the hell out of my guests. Like when it's their week. I before the night before their episodes going to air I let them know it's going to air I give them enough social media content for an entire week oh yes so there they get two videos mm -hmm. an episode flyer that they sized so that they can include it on either an Instagram story an Instagram post a Facebook post and a Facebook banner Ooh. Yes, like you're gonna get all the, you're gonna get all the things, and so you get that. I normally do t either a quote, like with a picture with their picture, and then a quote from the episode, mm -hmm. and uh, two carousels, and so they will have enough content for the week. This season, I'm investing in gifts for every guest. I love it. Are you gonna send it to them in the mail? Because your your Digital. show is virtual. Oh, you're gonna do digital, digital, yes? uh, digital gifts. <laughs> yes, that is so dope. yes, and an email where like I've been collecting after every episode, like mer like merch links and stuff for all the other guests. So then I'll send that to the other guests and so say it's a community within. The boom. Podcast. So like if guests from season three, episode two, offer ten percent off of their products. I want you to get that too, yeah. right? And then like I do affiliate marketing and so like I give them a $25 gift card to our partners and then I put a link, right? So if you like it, you could get 10% off. Don't you get a kickback for that too? 
only for the 10% off if they use my link. Mm. But it's like a coupon, right? Like I'm, I'm getting you hooked, right? Like yeah. if you like these products that I've gifted you, if you want to buy more, here's my affiliate marketing link. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing all the things. It, it reminds me of me so much. But as an entrepreneur, you like, you're doing all the things, but I'm, I miss being in corporate and having those meetings where we can just sit down real quick and just look at the analytics. Like, how is the performance on these things? You know? So, how much, what is the back end, uh, what's the word, play, replay that takes? I'm thinking about review process or um, gotcha. KPIs. Like, what does that look like for you on the back end? Okay, wait, one more thing. So, I okay. did, I also invested in the song. So, I hired a producer. Mm-hmm. So, that's produced. You, you sang on it, but you had someone master that thing. <laughs> yes, I did. I hired a producer and that was not cheap. <laughs> but I was like, this is going to set my show apart. Mm-hmm. It's going to set the tone for every episode. And you would not believe how many people are like, girl, I be singing that song. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> like that, that's the point, right? And so yeah. that was something else that I invested a lot of money in. Yeah. And then I'll just continue to like level up every season and figure out like ways where I can, um, add more hopefully as we make more but right now the show is in the red (laughs) the show is in the red i'm bankrolling it (laughs) but i was curious about what the performance like your performance process looks like what's your performance review process like so like whenever i run like an ad let's say I mean, social media makes it super easy to track analytics and performance of those. And so like every, let's say, clip that I think is going to hit, I'll do like a tester $50 and see like how how is it performing? Like what's the reach? What's the engagement? If if I feel like the reach and engagement is like decent, like so and I measure decent by whether or not it is performing as well on as one of my top performing posts at least every single day. So if a top performing post is let's say 100 likes and 30 shares, like is it at least doing that every single day? Because you're investing money in it and it has to at least either do that or outperform. Right, mm-hmm. or at least getting close to that. And so if it's doing that, then I'll, I'll just keep it. So I had one ad on Instagram that I did before Instagram like pulled it and like just was like messing it up mm. that got me t- 1500 new followers one ad wow. one video how many followers do you have right now i have been slacking on my ads so i only have like 2500 right now only <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, but my goal was to get to 10,000 because I had grew so quickly, but the ad format changed. And so my content is like shaped like this mm-hmm. because when you do zoom, it's like this, yeah, right? Side by side. Mm-hmm. Right. And so used to Instagram would run those ads in the format that it's in. Mm-hmm. Instagram now is trying to transition everything to real format, okay. which is like this. Mm-hmm. And so what started happening is that Instagram was automatically resizing my ads that were like this to fit the content that's like this, okay. right? And so it would stretch it out, it would be distorted because it's two people, like you'd only see half of this person's face and half of that person's face. So I'm trying to figure out how I can 
resize my content in a way that's gonna run on Instagram and look good. And so I've not um, been running ads lately until I figure out the best way to resolve that. But I feel like, like I said, one good piece of content 2,000 followers, easy. Mm, you guys are getting the full back end. You got a treat, honestly, because we took a deviation and you got, now you know exactly how to start your podcast. So don't give me any any excuses of why you can't start your podcast because it's literally, she just gave you the whole blueprint. So um, I want to go back to the way your life is currently structured mm -hmm. um, and how you strategically put these opportunities in place. Um, you have a full-time job, you have a side hustle, and you have your podcast. Um, what came first? What was your logic behind getting them in the first place? And then how did you figure out, okay, this is the strategy I'm going to roll with for the next ever, however long? So the last question, there ain't, ain't, ain't no like <laughs> real strategy, but I'll start. I started the first one. So first came lawyering because that's what I went to school to do. And so um, I started out my career, like I said, as a county attorney here in Atlanta, working uh, in public interest, and I hated it. And they hated me. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> I got fired. So that's the other thing. And it's so crazy because I was talking to one of my college friends who's also now a client because um, I'm back in private practice, I work at a firm, so I get to service my own clients in addition to the firm's clients. Nice. And she was like, girl, I'm like surprised that you even have a job because I just don't see you having a job, like a regular job. She's like, I see you having your own and being your own boss. And I was like, that's interesting because I never saw that for myself. Um, but I, I hear often people who are entrepreneurs always say that they have trouble keeping a job. I'm that girl, right? <laughs> even though I never in my mind felt like uh, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Girl, I have such a hard time keeping a job. What does that thing for you? Because I would say that is a motif. What is that thing for you? Um, what do you mean like that thing? The thing that either rubs you the wrong way when you get into corporate, rubs the, the manager the wrong way when you get into corporate, <laughs> runs the partner the wrong way. Like, what is it that, that is it for you that makes yeah. it constantly like a repellent? Um, I honestly, it's different from every situation because I've never really worked in the same type of job twice. Okay. So I, the first job I got fired from was in college. Like I've been fired from a lot of jobs. <laughs> like it was so funny. Like I was reading this dude's Insta like LinkedIn post the other day and he was like, yo, like, you know, I just lost my job. I was like, bro, like <laughs> Join the club. I lost so many jobs. So I lost my first job in college, but I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. I was an intern at Target, their headquarters in Minneapolis. Hey, okay, me too. Really? Yes, yeah. We gotta talk about that. Yeah, girl. <laughs> and I went because I was like, I, I've always loved fashion. Mm -hmm. And so I was in women's ready to wear as a business analyst, but I was in maternity and I thought I was going to be buying. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the right vertical to be a buyer, but the business analyst role was more business and analyst than buyer yep and i was like this is not for me i was like i don't do math <laughs> you know what i mean like i have gifts and i am shameless about professing and uh proclaiming those gifts but there are lots of gifts that i don't have and i'm very clear about those as well i don't math yeah. i don't excel mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And when I say I don't excel, I mean I don't excel spreadsheet. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, I, I'm not good at that. And that's like a majority of what the job was. And I just felt like they did not give me the tools that I needed to be successful in that role because I was very clear about my capabilities at the outset. They're like, no, we're going to give you all the training that you need yeah. to be successful in that role. And Do they did not. A, it's interesting because like, you're the first person that I'm, you're a mirror to me, mm. literally. 2013, <laughs> so when were you there? I was there in 2011. Okay, so right before me, it's, it's funny. So <laughs> you said they didn't give you the tools, right? So for those of you guys who don't know it, well, you, if we're in corporate, you know that there are verticals and it takes two, two, to, two years to four years in a certain role until you can move up to the next level. And so business analysts and buyers, like what, three, four, six years in between mm -hmm. each other, depending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the tools is one thing, right? Them giving you the tools to succeed, but then it's also the vertical that you were in. Mm -hmm. And there's this pay your dues mentality mm. that it requires you. You're going to have to just do the Excel mm. for four years <laughs> before you can yeah. go buy pamper, you know, baby, whatever it is that you're going to buy. Yeah. So, like, is that the thing where it's like um, either like this pay your dues, you didn't like you um, necessarily. Well, it wasn't that. Like, I was a PR major in school, mm -hmm. which was part of our journalism school. <clears throat> so, I had didn't have the skills. Got it. Like I just flat out didn't have the skills to be successful. And I was very open and honest about that in the interview process. Oh and they God. said, it's an entry level position. We will train you, we will give you the, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go, it's an opportunity. But yeah. I just flat out did not, I didn't have the skills. I was terrible at it. I remember my first performance review, I'm thinking I'm killing it. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good. And they were like, mm we're gonna recommend you for some remedial training. And I was like, what? Like, me? Remedial? Like, that don't even belong in the same sentence. But I had to be comfortable with the fact that that wasn't the right role for me. And then I was doing a whole bunch of other reckless, dumb sh that you do when you're in your early 20s that like wasn't helping my case. You get to a point, you know, where you're just like, I don't want to be here. Like by the time I got to the final performance review to determine whether or not like they were going to offer me a full time role to come back um, the following year, we both, me and my manager sat in the, in the last one and I was like, oh, we, we ain't got to do this. She, she, and she was like, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, like, I was like, we ain't got to do this. I was like, I'm not coming back. You don't want me to come back. And she was like, well, so what are your plans? <laughs> you know? I was like, I'm going to law school. And she was like, oh, I think that would be a wonderful Girl, career for you. <laughs> right? And the next year, I was in law school. Yeah. And so that was the first job I got fired from. I got fired from a job in law school for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I had the skills. Mm -hmm. And the position that I was in, they didn't want to train me and they didn't give me enough time to learn. And so I feel like that's a, that's an issue. If you're going to bring entry level people, like that's the same issue at Target, right? If you're going to bring entry level people into your company, I think that you have to be willing to invest in them to give them the training that they need to be successful. And I think that there's a gap and that's why you always hear people saying like, two to four years experience like there is no entry level role there is no zero years level experience roles because people do not want to invest yes. in young talent mm -hmm. to provide them with the skills that they need to be successful in a role and you have to invest and so i think early in my career that was very 
challenging for me is that I, I wasn't finding people who are willing to invest in me. Like, I think that I had, and they recognized that I had a lot of raw talent. Mm -hmm. And I think I did have a lot of raw talent, but I still needed cultivating. Yeah. I still needed mentorship. I still needed guidance. And so that was like the issue in that role, the, like earlier in my career, by the time I got to the county, it was just a horrible fit. So I didn't go to law school with aspirations of being a DA. So I started in the DA's office, an ADA, a public defender, uh, none of that. But when we came out of school, that was really like the most abundant type of job available because the recession was still gravely impacting the labor market and so you know I'm gonna put it out there I went to Emory for law school here in Atlanta Emory ain't cheap yes okay it's a institution here in Atlanta girl mm -hmm. tuition at right now at Emory is seventy thousand dollars a year sheesh for for a bachelor's degree for a law degree a law degree i'm not sure what it is for bachelor so i went to hampton mm -hmm. for undergrad but at the time that i went it was fifty thousand dollars a year and so it's like you can't come out of here without no job like you better be working like, i don't care what it is but you better be working and so my goal was to just have a job it wasn't necessarily to do what i wanted to do it was just have an income coming in and like i said during that time during the recession it really hit the legal industry very harshly and so finding a job for everyone was difficult so i took what i could find but it wasn't it wasn't my ministry they didn't like me i didn't like it and so less than a year in they fired <laughs> yeah, <everything>. <laughs> <laughs> they fired me they didn't have to be so rude in how they did it like oh. it was not right but you know what it turned i don't you know what i mean i don't i don't hold nothing against them for that because it was it allowed me to redirect. Okay, I was gonna say it's in the, and it was in God's plan at the end of the day. It was, so then that's when I, I opened up my own firm. Okay. And so I opened up my own firm because I didn't have a job. That's literally the only reason. And I hear a lot of people who are entrepreneurs have similar stories. Absolutely, started out of necessity <laughs> instead of like passion. Absolutely. Yes. Girl, I didn't want to be no entrepreneur. Like one of my girlfriends from law school, she's super passionate about entrepreneurship and she had her own firm. And she was like, girl, if you want to do sports and entertainment and ain't no sports and entertainment jobs, just create one. And I was like, oh yeah, this sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> you know right. right it sounds great yeah. until you're in the thick of trying to build a law firm with nothing but your cashed out 401k from the last job like right. that's all. and i had on i had been there less than a year so the 401k wasn't, was thin it like, girl yeah, okay. it was thin like <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't nothing in it but that's literally all i had and so i went through the process of entrepreneurship and I feel like being an entrepreneur made me a better employee. Come on. <laughs> you know, I always talk about it because you, you, you're in corporate America and you're like, screw y'all. And then sometimes you realize, oh, it's some things about me that I got Girl. to work on. <laughs> yes. And so you go out there and you got to yes. work on it regardless, especially to be successful in, for three years. Yes. And so you become a better employee. What does that look like? So, and I've talked about this on my show too, I feel like when you're the boss and you're shouldering the burden financially of everything that goes on, I ain't got time for you to be making mistakes. 
I ain't got time for you to not be doing your job. I ain't got time to do your job behind you. Like if I ask you to do something, like that doesn't mean you do it and then I do it again, right? Like if, cause I'm paying for you to be here and that is only beneficial and advantageous for me if you being here is saving my time so that I can put my time, effort and energy towards doing something else. If I gotta put my time, effort, and energy towards partially doing your job and I'm paying you, you're costing me twice as much. And so as an employee, when I decided to close my firm, it made me a better employee because I was like, now I know Mm -hmm. the ways that I can add the most value to the business and be of most use to my manager. Right. Like if my manager has to correct my work because I'm not paying enough attention to detail, I'm not doing my job. Mm -hmm. If my manager has to clean up my messes because I'm not appropriately talking to clients, I'm not doing my job or to business people or whatever. Right. And so it teaches you how to take more accountability and ownership over your work because there's no one else but you. And so full circle right you had asked me like why i started teaching and everything like Mm -hmm. that so i started teaching initially because i wanted to create a persona publicly that i was a subject matter expert in sports and entertainment like that's really it (laughs) and so i was like there are two ways in my business that you can become an expert you can teach or you can get the clients. At the time, I didn't have the type of clientele that would submit me as a subject matter expert. I was starting to get those clients, but I wanted to get there faster. And so I said, I'm gonna write a book, I'm going to start teaching. And so I just reached out to people that I knew, and people ask me all the time how to get into academia. It's very network heavy. It's very much about who you know and who knows you. There's not always going to be a job posting for an adjunct law professor at a law school. Like, they don't have those. And so I reached out to some people that I consider mentors in the space, because I told you I had aspirations of being a sports and entertainment lawyer and agent for a long time. So I started aligning myself with those people early, like back in college. And so when I got into that space, I was like, hey, well, how do I do this? And so they gave me some tips like, <clears throat> create a syllabus Mm. be clear about your goals as a teacher your objectives for the course what do you want student outcomes to be my mom was also a principal so she helped me to develop a lot of that stuff too and so once i developed the course right it goes back to making it easy for people to say yes Mm -hmm. i had already answered all the questions that they might have about my ability to teach this course by doing the work on the front end Mm. so i started shopping my course to different universities and i probably sent out my syllabus to uh, 40 50 people including my alma mater which at the time was not interested (laughs) not interested at all in having me come on campus and nobody was so i ended up going to a being invited to speak on a panel here in atlanta 
for law students interested in getting into sports and entertainment. The kids at the panel were like, yo, you are lit. You're dope. And I had mentioned during the, the panel that I wanted to get into teaching. And so since no law schools were interested, I took a position as a teaching assistant for one of my old professors at Hampton. Okay remotely so I was like I'm gonna do that and I told them like I'm trying to get into teaching on the panel the kids were like yo we need a sports law professor at Georgia State they lobby for you to be a professor come on <laughs> listen let's girl play girl. the play you said networking heavy but no, this is the secret. Yes, you do so well that the students lobby for you my students even now go so hard for me like when i my students go so hard for me like the love on both ends is so like there was a situation a couple months ago mm-hmm. where this really high big wig at the from the nfl came to speak at the school i didn't even know he was coming like he emailed me and was like your students told me i needed to meet you <laughs> Like, I was like, what? Yeah. Girl, and so, like, we ended up having a meeting, like, having a great conversation. Um, we ended up meeting here in Atlanta. Like, but they told him, you need to meet Professor Yanni. Like, they, they go so hard for me. Like, I appreciate them so, so much. Like, I'm sure they appreciate <laughs> you, right? I hope so. <laughs> but they, like... Like some days, like when I'm like not feeling it at all, I'm like, cause honestly, when he reached out to me, he was like, hey, I'm only gonna be here like today. Like, could you meet up today? And I had a lot of stuff to do for work. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I really don't wanna go. Mm, that, that rings a bell. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> I need to go and be whoever my students told him I was, right? Like, be, I did it for them. <laughs> Like, I was like, whoever they said I was, I need to show up and be that person for them. So the love is real. You're dropping a gem right now. And I don't even want it to, I don't want it to pass before I ask you this next question. But as an entrepreneur, we oftentimes like forget our why. And we try to come up with these old, like, Big old why the homeless young people who are sleeping under this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but on the days when you don't feel like getting off that couch, that's not your why. Right. <laughs> if it was your why, then you would be moving. And what Girl. you said was so real. I don't know if you if you realize it, but like your why, your students got you off your couch. They got me my first job. They got listen to your first job. <laughs> they got me my first job. They were, what you said is, I showed up as the person that they saw me as. Because we don't always see ourselves as awesome and amazing. And our why, you know what I mean? Like the way that you tangibly put like a bow on the why. You got such a, a good why. <laughs> okay. If you ever forget that. Thank you. I don't you. know if you've ever written it down. I haven't. But I think that you've got to know <laughs> that, that that feeling, a lot of people don't have, they make, we like make up wise, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I think that's a noble why, you know? Mm-hmm. But you, you literally, because I know you a little bit now, right? So, you know, you've gotten out of here, out of your uh, shell for yourself, mm-hmm. but to have someone who's like extended and literally they're living their life's an extension of yours and you know, as life continues, we're not old enough to be like, oh, I can raise the next PR executive. <laughs> like, we can't say that yet. But the impact that you have is truly the impact that people want to have when they become an entrepreneur. 
and they try to manufacture a why. And mm. the, your why is right here. You know what I mean? It's kind of like your why <laughs> is already there. You don't have to go reach out for this little cute why. Well, I feel like to your point about the why is like people do that because what else is there? You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's hard to identify or articulate a why and it it takes you going through some things, you know, like when you're starting out and it's cute, maybe that why is good enough, right? I want to save the world, you know? And then like as you evolve as an entrepreneur, as your journey evolves, the why can change. It can. And it probably should change. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I didn't even identify that as a why for myself. It was just the motivating factor for me in that moment. And so like the people that you're talking about, they may have a why, they just may have not put it together and have been able to articulate Absolutely. it yet. But that, and that's why I decided to choose this profession. Cause you're right. Like you go through life and life seems super easy and you create these noble whys and I'm being in jest, mm -hmm. but I was there too. <laughs> like when I talk about like the, the noble whys, I'm, I was there too. But then you go through life, but then you process it with someone. Because sometimes we go through life, we experience a thing, we suck up our emotions, we just do it, do it, do it, do it. And then we don't look back and say, what did I learn from all of that? Mm -hmm. Like, I was moving, but why was I moving? What was I motivated by? You know what I mean? Because something got you here, but you don't, you don't, you don't process it. I, I really encourage journaling. I, mm -hmm. I encourage sitting still because when you don't process it, then you don't learn and you go in circles. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a question and it was about, um, well, let me, oh, cause I, I wanted to finish cause you had oh, asked yes. me the question and I didn't get all the, the way. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Let me wrap it up quickly. Because the next <laughs> question is actually building on that. I definitely want to. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up getting the teaching job and I realized that I loved it. Mm. <laughs> didn't know, like never had an aspiration to teach other than thinking I'm going to make myself a subject matter expert loved it mm. so then I was like why can't I do this full-time mm. how do I do this full-time the world of academia is tough so I just got my first um, I did seven semesters before I got my first full-time teaching opportunity Wow! I just got my first full-time contract last year Congratulations. Thank you. you. <laughs> Girl <laughs> working for everything so even the students lobbied I had to, uh, I courted the dean and the professor, like the head professor for a year wow. before they gave me my first opportunity. They opened the door and they made the connection, but it still wasn't like, oh, we just don't give you it. It was an entire year of consistently following up, emailing, going to lunch, selling myself, explaining the course, and then the school being in a position to actually fund it. Cause you know, schools have to fund it so I decided I really enjoyed teaching and that wasn't something I wanted to give up but I was ready to be done being a full-time entrepreneur so I went back to uh, nine to five life and I went in-house um, and it was cool but I was making so much less money mm -hmm. than I was making before so then teaching became a necessity oh. to supplement my income okay you were an entrepreneur, supplementing your life. Things were okay. Things were great. Yeah. You decided you wanted to get into this in your teaching bag. And so the doors opened. We went through the whole story. Teaching was a, a fulfilling thing. 
entrepreneurship was paying the bills and you were living well. And then for the end of it, the, the, be, the, the beginning was, not you know, the whole three. yeah, yeah, not the whole three. Not the whole three years. <laughs> no, I struggled. I struggled. But the part that I struggled with was the belief in myself. Mm. Like once I decided that I was going to be a full time entrepreneur, like because I was still wavering the first year, I was still like, oh, like this isn't really what I want. I felt real jaded. Like I was like I went to a top law school. I went to a top undergraduate institution. Um, I did my best, I worked my butt off, I interned at the, the top companies, and I don't, I can't, I can't get a job. So I, I felt like super jaded in the beginning. I felt like I didn't choose entrepreneurship. I felt like it chose me, and it wasn't what I wanted for myself or my life. And so my entrepreneurship journey changed when I decided to choose it. When I decided that Regardless of why I'm here and whether it's what I want, like I either turn this ship around or I'm going to be on the street. Okay, because there are definitely months as an entrepreneur where, and so right before they fired me on my last job, I had bought my first house. Mm -hmm. That was when real estate in Atlanta was cheap. Now you got a mortgage though. <laughs> right, now I got a mortgage, but the mortgage was cheaper than rent, okay. so that was helpful. But there would be months when the mortgage was due and I did not have enough money in my bank account to cover it. <laughs> and I would be like, what am I going to do? Like God never, he always sustained me, right? Like it would be like the next day somebody calls and they need a trademark, Whew, right? Like I can pay, like let me hurry up and, and do some work on this. I can, you know, get the money and I can um, pay my mortgage. But like, it would be like that, like really living from client to client, not sustainable at all. So once I decided I was going to choose it is when it, it started kicking, right? I started making some money. I bought myself a, that car. It is my car. It was brand new. I was like, oh, I'm coming out. This is my coming out car. Then I decided I was gonna go back to corporate America. They paying me the same salary I made when I was in public interest. Okay. So, by that point, mm. I had to continue teaching out of necessity gotcha. to pay the bills. And again, what was the reason that you decided to leave entrepreneurship for um, the nine to five? Because I realized that practicing law wasn't my passion, mm -hmm. but doing it as an entrepreneur took up so much of my time that I didn't have the space the energy, right? Because as a creative, you need to create spaces where you can create. And I was so tired. I was so worn down from not only practicing law, but chasing down clients and managing people that I didn't have time to pour into my passions. So I let it go because I was like, I don't love law enough for to make the sacrifices that I was making in order to make my practice work. Okay, so you said, you know what, I'm gonna do the same thing, but I'm gonna do it as a nine to five, Boom. I'm gonna get my time back, but then Boom. the money shifted. Boom. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the money shifted, and then I realized that, once again, like, working for somebody else is really, I'm not, I'm Now we back at, now we back at that lesson. Ah! Girl, yes, we back there again. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Is, and, mm. I, and I think I was a much better employee. Mm -hmm. Like, I was not fired. 
I was actually really great at my job, but I was miserable. Yeah, so crushing. <laughs> I was miserable. They were happy with me. I wasn't happy there. I wonder what it was. Do you know why it was so crushing? I said so crushing, but you know, does that resonate with you? Um, it wasn't soul crushing um, because I was at I was doing sports and entertainment law. Okay. So I was at least in a in an environment where I felt like I I was more was more suited to my skill sets and what I had actually set out to do. So it wasn't necessarily soul crushing. I just think that the con confines of corporate life and corporate structure do not, I'm, I'm the Mustang, I'm wild. I am not the beige girl yeah. and I just didn't fit there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't fit there. I wanted to do me. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, they wanted me to practice law a certain way. I was like, I don't do that. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, and I just didn't. You know what I mean? And, and you know, like, the, I got a lot of pushback. The thing that saved me is that my clients loved working with me. And my work was good. But I gave my bosses hell all the time about what I was and wasn't going to do. <laughs> and I just wasn't going to do it. And that was it. <laughs> you know? And so, like, that's when I realized... I don't fit in corporate structures. I don't know that I want to do this anymore. And so that's when I decided I think I want to, I, I need to figure out what I do want to do, figure out how I can chase it like with a reckless abandon. And I was like, I need a job. A reckless abandon? Yeah. Tell me more about this. I like this. <laughs> like, I feel like my podcast at this point, financially, makes zero sense <laughs> i'm a year in i mean i wasn't gonna say it it makes zero sense but financially financially but show is bomb. right financially <laughs> but i see it as the start of my media empire i am building the foundation for which i will grow to being the next oprah so all of this for me is an investment and I see what I do now as the foundation for what I want to do in the future. And so it depends, right? If you're just a laissez-faire podcaster and That's you're right, right. And you're not, you know, like, like I said, that selfie image for your thumbnail, mm -hmm. it might be okay for you. Mm -hmm. But the vision that I have for this show, my dreams, it's gotta be right. Like it's, it's gotta be right. And it only has to feel right for me. Okay. So I'm chasing it, whether it makes sense or not. That's what reckless abandon, that's what reckless abandon. Like I'm chasing it the way I want, the way it feels right for me, whether it feels good or right for anybody else doesn't matter. Like I'm doing it the way I wanna do it. Yeah. I'm open to critique and suggestion because I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. But even if it doesn't make financial sense, I'm going to do it <laughs> because I believe in it and I believe in what I'm trying to do. And so I also realized that being in the corporate structure didn't fit that because they were trying to silence my show. And so originally I wasn't. Really? Yeah. When you work for somebody else, they don't. You know what I mean? They don't want you do anything else. Boom. Yeah. In 2022, there is <laughs> a little bit more. I have my clients saying, oh, yeah, they know I have a business. And I'm like, oh. But, you know, that's still, by and large, no, we want you to focus on us. It's not even the focus. Mm. It's the, we want to censor you. 
we see you as an extension of, of yeah mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. want to make sure that whatever you're saying aligns with our values because you're also in the legal space no, no, I feel like they would have been the same if I, it was just the type of company that I was at. Okay. They wanted to make sure, and so I was like, yeah, nah, this is not really for me. And so every, I still recognize that I need a job at this point, because in order for me to be reckless financially, I got a bankroll that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't pursue my thing with reckless abandon if I got to worry about money. That was also something that I learned as an entrepreneur, right? Like, mm. you don't ever want to make decisions about your business based on money. You want to make the decision based on need. I need this to grow. I need this to get to the next level. Mm. Not, I need it, but I can't buy it because I ain't got no money. So I recognize that I need a job right now to pursue my business the way that I want to, but I've been super intentional about the jobs that I take now because I say up front, if my podcast and teaching is off the table, I can't work here. And I have, <laughs> listen, that has gotten me out of the running at some very high profile jobs. Yeah, you left some money on the table. Mm -hmm. I have, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I can't quit. I can't let this go. And mm -hmm. so like, that's been the strategy, okay. right? It's finding the spaces where I can pursue these things that I want. And so my goal hopefully is to get my teaching so it's my soul nine to five. Okay, because you enjoy it. I do enjoy it. And the thing about academia that a lot of people don't realize is that it doesn't feel like a corporate structure. It's very free. Yeah. It's more like a collection. Like I feel like my colleagues, I feel like we feel like a collection of independent contractors. Mm tasked with the job of creating and maintaining a community that is nurturing and safe for us and our clients, which are our students. Hmm. And so we work together, but we work independently. How do you factor in that tenure concept? Because I'm not very... Um, so I'm a non-tenure track professor okay. and I have a non-tenure track role even though I'm full-time. Mm -hmm. And so basically tenure generally comes with some research requirements, meaning that you're a real sub subject matter expert because you've published on the topic, you researched the topic, you literally wrote the book on it in addition to your teaching responsibilities. And so that's what's generally required for tenure in my area of academia. Um, and so once you like start be building a name for yourself in the subject matter area from a publication standpoint, you have an opportunity for tenure. It's not a foregone conclusion that it's going to be granted for you, but it basically tenure just means that you are bulletproof. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a uh, shy of the school burning down, you gonna have a job. And uh, I think it, the idea behind it is that institutions of higher learning have a vested interest in continuity. And they understand that the students come to the school to learn from certain professors, right? Like if I'm, interested in XYZ area of law and you have the foremost scholar uh, of that area of law teaching at your institution, 
You know what I mean? Like, I'm coming to see them. Mm. I'm not coming to see the admissions officer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, th that's that's what it's about. And so that's the other part that's attracted to me about academia mm. is that scholarship and academia value public figures. If Oprah wanted to go teach a course on journalism, she could go do that at any institution in the country. Who wouldn't want Oprah to come teach them, right? And so that's whether she's been published or like, we don't even know if Oprah knows how to teach. We don't care, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Boom, exactly. And so I feel like academia is like pushing me to push myself and build my brand. Okay. But my goal is to do it differently. Mm. So as much as I would love tenure, I don't necessarily want to research and I don't necessarily want to do scholarship in the traditional way. I would love to do some, you know, shorter form articles and publications, um, some op-eds, but I don't necessarily want to write the book. I don't necessarily want to do traditional legal scholarship, but they push you, right? Like if you are a regular contributor on CNN on your subject matter area, like that counts, <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of your, your brand. And I'm, I personally want to reframe the way academia views like notoriety because we're moving into an age of social media yeah. right where the the students that i have know me because they see me on social media they've seen me on instagram they see me on linkedin and they're like oh my god like i'm taking from that professor so i feel like we're moving into a stage where like you can build your credibility and your notoriety outside of traditional legal scholarship and i want to push the envelope on that because that's where the students are i see it i see it so clearly <laughs> and and you know what you're a very smart woman so in terms of strategy i hope you can take this this thought but even research to this point, to, to your point, like, you know, the old way of doing it is um, played out in some form. Some people love <laughs> the old way of doing research, but I can feel or sense that you, that's not what you want to do. Now, I've, I've, uh, I've watched a few of the, so, the sugar-free podcasts, but if not an element or not the subject matter, could that not be a platform for your research in, in, the, in the podcast way? I guess it could. I guess it just depends on what I'm researching. And that's the other reason why I don't want to do traditional academia is because similar to how when I was growing up, I felt like, I don't want to say organizing, but making competitive, right? Adding the competitive work-like element to the things that I loved and enjoyed took away my joy for it. Yeah. And so I don't want to have writing be such a critical part of my everyday work that when I come home, I don't feel like writing about the stuff I want to write about. Oh, okay, because mm -hmm. you, you just brought in the element of writing. So here I'm learning about the field as I get, provide an idea. Um, because the way that I see it, like when I'm doing podcasting and I'm asking you about your career, it's, this is my research. Mm. You know, the more and more I talk to you, I, I'm, I am able to help my clients better. And to sit down and understand all of the stories of folks who are corporatepreneurs, entrepreneurs, um, people who left, you know, why they left, all of these things. I'm like, I'm a vault of information and the information mm. is all video. <laughs> mm. So I didn't consider the writing aspect of it, but I absolutely 
Like when I look at it, I study this stuff. So you're doing market research. Oh my God. Well, it's market research, right? But then as I think about my behaviors and what I, what it's doing for me, it makes me apply it to your strategy in a sense that if we don't want PhD type research where we have to write all the time, still to your point earlier of becoming a subject matter expert, tying in this passion of podcasting and your platform to your actual expertise makes it fun and you ain't doing nothing but having conversations all day um, yeah. and in terms of writing I transcribe my videos so mm. I don't write anything but in terms of organizing the writing so we're going down into the strategy like the details but I'll bring it back up because um, given your given that you're creating your own platform mm -hmm. and you know getting your reps up in terms of whatever research looks like in the old way creating that in a podcast format and then also um, allowing that to be consumed by the people who actually are buying into these courses. Like you said, they, are, they have the buying power. So just like they choose to go to whatever college they want to go to, they can choose whatever podcast or whatever form of education you provide and they choose where they want to spend their money. So I'm just like <laughs> extrapolating all of the details and the whys along the way and how you created your strategy. And it sounds like if we're in 2022 and maybe some things feel like robots, maybe some things feel like, okay, so how did I get here again? <laughs> it does seem like you're in the perfect place to capitalize on the vision that you had before, the vision that you have today, and what you're currently doing in this present moment with just maybe a tweak. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have, they, all the pieces haven't lined up, but I feel like every year I'm getting closer to figuring out how everything can converge. I feel like my biggest issue at this point is the things that I'm passionate about talking about, the things that I want to write about, the things that I would want to do my TED talk on, because I think about that often, right? Like what, what would my TED talk be? Ain't got nothing to do with practicing law. What would it be? So the Sugar Free Podcast is the life advice podcast for millennial women. And so I'm really passionate about just like having conversation with people and providing advice, not necessarily on any legal topic or even any business topic. It's just that I feel like as a woman who has achieved what appears to be a certain level of success, I think that people have a lot of misconceptions about what the journey to success looks like. Mm. And I think they think that it's very linear and it's not littered with heartbreak, heartache, um, challenge, uh, resilience, and it is. And, and I feel like for a lot of us as millennials, we were told a lot of things and success was served to us in a very formulaic fashion, right? You get good grades, you go to, you get into college, you get into college, you get a good job. And I think for a lot of us, that hasn't been the case, right? You get a good job, you make the kind of money you want to make, you make the kind of money you want to make, you have the ability to afford the things that you want to afford. And I feel like we definitely need to do a lot of breaking down of those misconceptions about the perceived 
formulaic nature of success because it's not that. It hasn't been that for me. It probably hasn't been that for you. It hasn't been that. But in our minds, we got this idea of like what should happen and what should because that's the narrative that we've been consuming all of our lives. And so my passion is about tearing down and reconstructing that narrative about not only the challenges and the winding road that success looks like, and also who success looks like, right? Like mm -hmm. success can look like a bald black woman with visible tattoos, a nose ring, and some, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, right? Like what it looks like, because, <laughs> listen, when I, <laughs> so I, when I go to faculty meetings, okay, so I'm a professor, probably the youngest full-time professor on staff at a top 20 law school. Mm -hmm. Nobody walks in thinking I am who I am. I went to an alumni function. We had to go meet with the alumni and they were like, you teach here? Mm -hmm. Sure do. Huh? You know what I mean? People are like, oh, you wear that to class? Absolutely. What it look like. <laughs> right? This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. It mm -hmm. looks like having a hot girl summer world tour. I put that on LinkedIn. I said, my students ask me what I do all summer. Hot girl summer world tour. <laughs> Listen. I you know it. what I mean? Like, or dancing. Like, I take dance classes. My students be like, oh, you're so cool. And I'm like, because we need to redefine what a successful woman looks like. A successful woman can twerk. Yeah. A successful woman can have tattoos. A successful woman can have heartbreak. She can be single. She can be childless. She can be all of these things. And so that is what really like the heart and the core of my show is about. It's about rewriting the narrative of success and reminding women that we get to write our own rules. Mm -hmm. We get to define for ourselves who we are and giving them permission to do that. Listen, y'all, mm -hmm. you're welcome. <laughs> okay, I, when I say you're welcome, I mean it. I'm speechless at this moment. I literally, you have dropped the mic. I see what you're saying. Um, and the reason that like, you gave me all of that, which I'm so glad you did, is because that is a sacred space. It's not just research, you know, it's not just like, <laughs> let me think, you know, turn this into something, but I, um, I see that there is, and I know that you're, you are allowing the pieces of life to kind of show you how things are going to come together. Um, but if you would ever be interested in my idea, I definitely, <laughs> I have a strategy for you. Well, I have to thank you actually. <laughs> because I have been in my mind trying to figure out, like I've been trying to narrow down like what my, what my show is about. Um, that's part of the exercise, one of the exercises for the accelerator. And I think I like had touched the surface, but talking through it, mm -hmm. right? I said things out loud that I have not been able to articulate in my mind for weeks. Mm -hmm. This is like the first time, like, right? And so it, like, that I've been able to articulate it. And I'm like, I got it now. Just I'm from talking sure through it. <laughs> okay, 
Okay. Yeah, you better, because I got to go, girl. Oh, goodness gracious. You guys just got to do one. I know you can still hear the sound, so I am 100% blessed. We got it. We're going to get out of here. I ain't going to ask you no more questions. She just gave us all the things, okay? What I will say is you, um, this this should be a no-brainer, because you, you are a performer. You speak to students all the time. I just want you to elevate that to our level, women who are 25, 30, 45, 30, 25, 30, um, and even men, 25, 30, 35, and they're trying to put together this strategy. You've been very strategic at this point, right? Super duper like thoughtful about the, the life that you're creating for yourself. It hasn't always felt that way, oh, but when you, when you put it that way, then yes. <laughs> Sometimes you need that external like perspective. So I'm curious at the end, you know, if you would provide a word of wisdom for someone on their journey, because even if we don't feel like we got all together, we are one step ahead of someone. Uh, what would it be? My, I guess, one bit of advice would be do not allow yourself to be your biggest enemy. I feel like I have been the biggest obstacle to my success on my journey. I'll give you a perfect example. I had a boyfriend at one time that I was very serious with. And I remember telling my sister, I was like, I just feel like he doesn't support me. Like he doesn't support anything that I do. Like how can I be with somebody who doesn't support me? And she was like, let me stop you right there. She was like, because the way you talk about yourself and the way you talk about the things that you're doing, you make it hard for people. You don't sound like you believe in you. You don't sound like you believe that what you're doing is worthy. She was like, every time I talk to you, you're like, oh my God, work is, sucks. And you know, like I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. Or you start something and then you quit three weeks later and then you start something else. And she was like, <clears throat> You have not exhibited within yourself that you take you seriously and that you believe in what you're doing. How could that man believe in you when you haven't really showed him that you believe in yourself? And I was like, ooh, like how many other people out there that I've had conversations with have not been convinced of my talent and the greatness that I believe resides inside of me because I have been so busy talking negatively about myself, the experiences that I've had, the things that I'm doing, that there's no way someone else can believe it, you know? And so like, I definitely just encourage people like, the best you can to the best of your ability because every day ain't a good day some days it's hard sometimes you don't feel like what you're doing is worthwhile or it's worthy and that was my issue i i perceived as the things that i was doing the experience that i had as not being worth my energy or anyone else's and so believing that everything that you're doing right now whether it feels good or not, whether it feels worth it or not, is all a piece of the puzzle for your journey. It's all a building block that is taking you to the next place, even if the next place is just a greater belief in yourself, 
right? Because you talked about like how I'm getting closer earlier, right? Like the thing that's moving me closer is like nothing happened. I didn't get a better job. I didn't, I'm not making more money. It's, I have a greater belief in myself that's gonna inform everything else that I do and make me better at everything else that I'm doing. So that would be like my biggest advice is just believe with every fiber of your being that you're exactly where you are, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and it's 100% preparing you for the next thing. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you guys who are watching, thank you so much for tapping in. This was an amazing brain exercise. It was also just really good just to get your story. Yeah. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. This was it. fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being on the, on the Work and Play podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening and for watching the Work and Play podcast. If there's someone out there who is con um they want to work with you. They want to follow you on your journey. They want to learn from you. How can they get connected with you? So I'm not currently offering anything and by way of course or services or product offerings, but I am offering this sugar-free podcast. Look, if you want to follow me, if you want to connect with me, if you want to tap into what I'm doing, follow me on Instagram at sugar-free podcast. I'm on Twitter at sugar-free pod. I'm on Facebook at sugar-free pod. And then you can also follow me at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. There you have it, guys. Well, until next time, thank y'all so much for watching this one. This was fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Peace out and be great.